Memorial Health System provides comprehensive health services that meet the needs of the region we serve. And we are proud to present Memorial Health Radio. Here's Melanie Cole. Untreated high blood sugars can cause many problems for diabetics and cause future complications. Recognizing the signs of high blood sugar levels and knowing how to lower them can help you prevent these complications and increase the quality and length of your life. My guest today is Dr. Nicholas Mazidis. He's an endocrinologist with Memorial Health System. Dr. Mazidis, let's start with explaining to the listeners what happens when we eat. Why do we need to understand insulin and blood sugar and their relationship? It's very important to understand that uh, high blood sugars come along with uh, repercussions for the system. The system is set up to have a blood sugar in the range of 100 milligrams per deciliter. That's kind of a score that we keep in mind. And, uh, Swings high above this particular number, even below, have results that are undesirable. Low blood sugars, as many of the listeners may be aware, have issues that cause uh, changes in mental states, confusion, and sometimes even unconsciousness and worse. Uh, High blood sugars, as we frequently see with diabetes, can have repercussions that relate to damage to blood vessels, nerves, or for that matter, problems that relate to immune deficiency and infections and other uh, issues. So uh, all of our strategies are based on trying to keep our numbers as close to that marker that I mentioned. If someone has type 2 diabetes, and that's pretty much what we're talking about, type 1 is a whole different ballgame, but if they have type 2, why is it so important for them? And do they need to be concerned with both, as you say, low hypoglycemia and hyperglycemia, do both of those things, can they both cause complications for a type 2 diabetic? Yes, as a matter of fact, and uh, that's an interesting question because a lot of people who have type 2 diabetes don't necessarily experience uh, some discomfort or pain for that matter. So the damage is being done, but yet they're not picking up on the fact And very frequently, we see people who come in with very high blood sugars and had no clue whatsoever it happened to be picked up because of some other chance event uh, when things were checked. So the reminder is that uh, people don't necessarily have to expect that they're going to feel something. They need to be checking their blood glucose uh, if the diagnosis has been made in order to make sure that they are in the proper range. And that's, as you said, uh, very important for the patient who has type 2 diabetes. In the case of type 1 diabetes, things are a little different because they're they're more likely to feel very uncomfortable if uh, their blood glucose is drift and uh, they're missing out on their insulin. And also with type 1, they, they were probably diagnosed at some point in their life so they know exactly what's going on, whereas type 2 people might even be unaware that they have prediabetes, how often should people who are told that they have prediabetes, should they be checking their blood sugars? And then if you are told you have full-blown diabetes, how often do you want people to check? Well, prediabetes is a very big issue, particularly because in regions like ours here in Appalachia, uh, many, many of our patients have family members who have had uh, or have diabetes. Therefore, once that's uh, in the family Uh, genetic line, so to speak, we need to be always vigilant 
and uh, everyone who has a first-degree relative with diabetes certainly should be monitored periodically to make sure that they're not developing this particular problem. Also, blood glucose results that are chance findings but are a little bit offline, again, uh, they might not necessarily have reached the point where we can make the formal diagnosis, but we can see that they are offline, uh, that they are actually drifting, and uh, certain interventions are indicated. In other words, we need to take measures, and these measures uh, we will discuss, but uh, they relate primarily to lifestyle at the stage of prediabetes. Then let's talk about how you keep track of your blood sugars and what you can do to actually keep control of them. So why don't you start with exercise since it has an insulin-like effect and it is such an important part of managing diabetes symptoms and blood sugar. And that's an excellent point because what happens, and we're very much aware, exercise has an effect uh, like giving an insulin injection, if you will. So for people who happen to be taking medications or insulin, exercising immediately has effects as if they've taken medication. And therefore, we view it as medication, and therefore, we also like to give an exercise prescription. And currently, the guidelines are that people should engage in exercise, active exercise, for about 150 minutes a week. Uh, That would make 30 minutes on five days a week that they need to be engaged in exercise. Uh, Or more simply put, perhaps uh, 10,000 steps a day for people who walk, you know, to make sure that they get that uh, equivalent because uh, this level of activity makes the insulin that the body produces uh, work better and uh, certainly works to also prevent uh, blood sugars from rising into dangerous ranges. And that we know follows when people put on weight and uh, when they're inactive. So these things are of great importance and that's why we use exercise as the first step in our management plan together with a diet. Let's talk about diet then because, you know, people have heard even if they're just trying to lose weight that carbohydrates are the enemy or we heard fats are the enemy. Well, not all carbohydrates are created equal. So which ones are the ones for diabetics that they do need to watch out for because not all sugars are equal? And that's another excellent point uh, you're making, Melanie. The fact that uh, the diet uh, needs to be viewed with a level of sophistication. In other words, not all carbohydrates are a problem, and not all fats are a problem. You know, not all proteins are equal. We need to understand that uh, certain foods are beneficial to us, and uh, certain foods uh, should be restricted. And uh, when it comes to carbohydrates, we'd make a distinction between what we call complex carbohydrates. These would be carbohydrates such as those we see in vegetables or unprocessed uh, grains uh, because those seem to not cause the blood glucose to spike as readily as those uh, other refined, simple uh, comfort foods, if you will, that have carbohydrates. So, Uh, We need to be careful when we say about carbohydrate restriction. The term is used very broadly. But again, uh, we try to encourage uh, vegetables to be a large part. And when I uh, instruct patients, I remind them that half of their plate should have vegetables. And then around that, we build other components of the plate, including the protein and the fat and also some of these uh, simple 
uh, carbohydrates that may include uh, certain fruits and such. So now that you've, you know, pretty much discussed a little bit about the low glycemic index with those carbohydrates that don't have that sugar rush to them, doctor, explain a little bit about where fiber or water or some of these kinds of things fit into this picture. Well, we have to be reminded that when we're eating, we're feeding the microbiome. So the microbiome are the trillions of bacteria that populate our gut. They do the work of digestion. And obviously, uh, these have to be fed in a special way because they eat grass. So they eat the fiber. They're the ones that we feed with our vegetables and such. And even though we view those components as not being nutrients per se, they have a very vital role, the fiber, that is, because uh, for the bacteria in the gut, they are uh, critical components in their nutrition. And also, they form the bulk of the stool. They also are there to cleanse the gut. And uh, all of these roles are important. And at the same time, they also stabilize and they delay, if you will, the absorption of carbohydrate from the gut through their presence. So fiber is of vital importance, and a very simple way to take fiber is to get it through our vegetables and our unprocessed grains. Obviously, uh, there are people, for a variety of reasons, they need extra fiber, or they may be constipated or have other issues, and that can also be given in a powder form uh, to be added to the meal. But I think it's much more palatable and acceptable to incorporate it for most people as a salad, so a generous portion with uh, each uh, with each meal. Now, stress, because people don't tep- people don't typically think of stress as something that might raise or lower your blood sugar levels or really even have an effect on managing your diabetes. So just speak a little bit about our stress levels because that also plays into the exercise portion of this. And that's very true because that's the one element that's been neglected. It's been neglected in the sense that we're focused very much on medications, uh, a little bit on the diet and less so on exercise, but uh, that's it's been totally neglected has been uh, the stress sleep element. And unfortunately for the majority of the population uh, these days, there are many issues that uh, they confront, uh, whether they're financial or family or social or whatever issues uh, that uh, bring on stress. And uh, when you have stress, you also have certain hormones that are produced in response to stress. We know that. And we also know that the hormones that uh, are released when people are under stress are generally hormones that are what we call contra-insulin hormones. In other words, they work against insulin. So whatever insulin is trying to do in terms of disposing of blood glucose properly, lowering blood sugar levels, uh, making us uh, use our fuel efficiently, these hormones are going to interfere with that process and they're going to generate more sugar in the bloodstream because that's just what they do as part of the stress flight response. Now, uh, we would like to diffuse that situation because it makes no sense to throw medication at the problem when in reality the fire is being sustained by these other processes. And more importantly, if people are also sleep-deprived or have... uh, sleep hygiene, which is uh, not proper, Uh, we know that when sleep is interfered with, especially in the proper cycle, in other words, during the dark period, we should be sleeping, and when the sun is up, we should be awake. So when that uh, cycle is interrupted through shift work or through other, 
that in and of itself generates a big stress response. The body normally settles in, blood pressure drops at night, cortisol levels drop at night, go back again up in the morning. When we try to reverse that, we try to override it, we use coffee and other stimulants because we need to be up for our shift or whatever we're doing, that in uh, and of itself creates uh, probably the most fundamental uh, destructive uh, influence in the whole process and virtually guarantees that this individual is going to have metabolic problems. It may be diabetes, uh, but frequently it could be something else, including cholesterol problems, blood pressure problems, or worse. In summary, doctor, it's such great information. What else would you like people to know about diabetes, controlling their blood sugar, and even including, as you wrap up, the monitors that are out there, because there are so many, and some people think, oh, I'm not going to have to do a blood stick, or I'm not going to have to do this. So just kind of wrap it up for us with your best advice about controlling blood sugar and the monitors available. Well, there are many monitors available. Usually they involve a finger stick. Uh, in order to draw a blood sample, very small perhaps, but we still need a little blood in order to run the test, if you will. And this is home testing, which is very reliable and can allow us to track uh, the response to a particular meal to see how things are when we wake up in the morning. So the first step, of course, is to monitor and to develop a little bit of a profile, a little bit of a diary, so that we can see how our particular lifestyle and habits impact on the blood sugar. That realization is going to permit us to make the changes required, because if we don't know what that number is or what a particular meal does for us, uh, then we won't really be able to make a decision or to make changes and then again take a look. So that's very important. Now, I did mention that we need to stick the finger, but now with uh, more new technologies, we have the ability to wear a particular type of patch uh, or device that measures the blood sugar without doing finger sticking. So we could have the equivalent of 50 blood sticks a day without sticking the finger because it just reads it. It's a monitor that sits on the skin and does this. So some of our concerns about finger sticking can now be dealt with uh, if we have the ability to make use of this uh, new technology. So be that as it may, that monitoring is an integral first step. The second thing that I advise patients is, of course, what we discussed uh, that has to do with the diet and meal planning, but more importantly, the time, and that's the most fundamental. Patients need to realize that the day begins at four in the morning for the body's metabolism and pretty much ends around four in the afternoon, and things then go into a rest period. So unfortunately, with our lifestyle, we do the reverse, not much in the morning in terms of meals, and then we build up so that in the evening, we're consuming the majority of our calories for a variety of reasons. And that, of course, is a guaranteed recipe for obesity and all sorts of problems with blood glucose control. So the two things that one needs to remember is, number one, to monitor the blood sugar so that they themselves can convince themselves of what strategy is best, and number two, to remember that uh, the bulk of the meal should be for breakfast, lunch should be generous, and anything that we do for supper, because that's a better term to use, supper should be light so that we can rest peacefully and uh, start our day the next day morning uh, with a good uh, profile. 
great information, doctor. So important and so beautifully put. Thank you so much for being with us today. You're listening to Memorial Health Radio with Memorial Health System. For more information, please visit mhsystem.org. That's mhsystem.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.